0: page 7, and then we'll move on to the next lesson momentarily. In our series, Biblical Worldview 101, as you see on the screen behind me, there is a series of notes for that. However, I was just told that uh, we passed out the last of them, at least for this week. So if you have not received one or did but didn't bring it, uh, you're out of Providence. I don't say say you're out of luck, but uh, you're out of Providence. And um, we'll uh, have some more, I think, next week. Okay, so sorry about that. Just try to listen up as, as best you can. Before we pick up where we left off, I just want to remind you of some things that are coming up. One is, importantly, this afternoon at 2.30. It is our congregational meeting. And this is a congregational meeting we've been trying to stress uh, attendance for. We don't always do that because sometimes it's just the mundane Uh, regular stuff that we do every quarter, and uh, you don't necessarily have to be there if you don't really care about those mundane things. But this meeting has a number of uh, important and different things. It has, yes, uh, seeking approval for our 2013 budget, so that's important. Uh, Of course, uh, we will give a report on how we ended up the year, 2012 financially as well. Uh, But we will also ask the church's approval about uh, some other things. Two of our deacons are up for renewing their three-year term, so we'll ask the church to vote on approving them for that. And we have been talking for many months about the possibility of changing our name when we move into our ministry center in a month to Community Bible Church. Any of you who are new here that don't, aren't familiar with that, didn't know we were thinking about that, uh, I'd be happy to explain that to you, but this afternoon is when... Uh, the church family will vote on, on that. And so as I said in the first hour, if you're, uh, whether you're in favor or not in favor of that, uh, if you don't normally show up to these meetings, I would encourage you to do that so that you can express yourself on it, and you may end up kicking yourself uh, one way or another if uh, you assume things will go uh, the way you thought, uh, and they don't, you say, I should have been there uh, for that. So, uh, I would encourage you for that reason and also because we're going to present an update on our ministry center project and just tell you where we are with that and give you an idea of what to expect when, Lord willing, we move into the building for our first Sunday on February the 3rd. So, a bunch of stuff to to cover. Some of it's uh, big stuff. 2.30 this afternoon, Westfield Activity Center in Trenton. That's on West Road just behind the Trenton Library, okay? And uh, that first service is February 3rd, February 6th. The following Wednesday, we'll begin our midweek program at the, uh, the ministry center, uh, assuming all goes well this month and we're able to get our occupancy permit, which the builder uh, assures me that, uh, that we will have, okay? So keep praying about that, if you would. Men's Fraternity, guys, uh, starts up one week from Wednesday, January 16th. It'll be at 7 o'clock. We didn't have the time in the program, but it's uh, 7 o'clock, at Patrick Henry Middle School. So it's a 16 week program. In order to finish at the same time the rest of the midweek program does, we need to start it uh, a few weeks early, even before we move into the ministry center. So that's why the first three weeks are going to be at Patrick Henry Middle School. And then beginning February 6th, the Wednesday men's fraternity will meet at the ministry center along with the rest of the midweek program. So, guys, if you want to participate in the Wednesday version, uh, one week from Wednesday, 7 o'clock, Patrick Henry Middle School. There's the Friday version as well. For people who can't make it uh, on Wednesday, Friday morning uh, at 6 a.m., uh, the same thing that's covered on Wednesday is covered on Friday, uh, 6 a.m. at the Allen Park Community Center. And that Friday meeting will remain at the Allen Park Community Center throughout the entire 16 weeks. Okay, so the Wednesday evening and the Friday morning and you're welcome to go to either one you you want. All right, page number seven. In your notes on Biblical Worldview uh, 101. And we've been looking at, in these first couple of lessons, the fact that a biblical worldview has three major categories to it. What I call an orientation, disorientation, and reorientation that if you wanted to fit all of life into uh, under uh, appropriate categories, those three categories would cover everything. Orientation, disorientation, reorientation. Orientation is really about creation and who God is and what He expects from us. And we have been looking at the fact that God is the creator and the implications of that for us so that we get an idea of how having a biblical lens, having a biblical view of the world affects the way we we see things. And so that's what pages six and seven have been about. Here are some implications, footnotes of creation, that lesson is called. So orientation, that is creation, who God is and what he expects from us. But then we're going to see today, there is the second category of a biblical worldview, and that is disorientation, that God's perspective on the world, and thus the one we should adopt, uh, also sees the fact that the world is not as it was originally designed. That there is something wrong with the world and something major wrong with the world. And the Bible defines that something as sin, and it is sometimes called the fall, and that creates a disorientation. What God told the first man and woman about himself and about themselves and about his purpose was very clear to them, but it became unclear as a result of sin. And so it becomes distorted and disorientation sets in. And we live ever since Genesis chapter 3 and the entrance of sin into God's world in the disorientation caused by the entrance of sin or what is called the fall. And there are a bunch, a ton of implications to that. Now, if a biblical worldview is left at that, pretty miserable. You're left with dog-eat-dog, survival of the fittest, (laughs) let's see who makes it out alive, (laughs) and all of that. And uh, uh, make make up your own rules, and we live in a culture that is increasingly adopting that kind of a mindset. Kind of nihilistic, nothing matters, all of life is empty and meaningless, and as a result of that, people live that way. Because ideas have consequences. And so you live in a world that, yes, has the vestiges of orientation and creation and beauty and purpose. But if you don't have new lenses through which to see it, it is overridden by the disorientation and distortion of sin. And that's the way the vast majority of the world lives. And if God leaves us there, we are miserable indeed. Thankfully, there's a third category. And that is reorientation. God is actively at work restoring his world to what it was intended to be. And so orientation is creation, who God is and what he expects from us. Disorientation is the fall, who we are and what our problem is. And then reorientation is redemption, what God is doing about it. And thankfully, God is doing something about it through the person and work of Jesus Christ and his continuing work through his people. Now, notice that. Because this is something that a lot of people miss. They stop at, Jesus has done a work in in me individually. He has redeemed me. He has restored my relationship with God. But the Bible doesn't leave it there. He hasn't simply restored your individual relationship with God. He is now using you as his tool to restore others to their relationship to God. And so we have then purpose that he has given us. God's redemption, his reorientation of his world is centered in the person and work of Jesus, but that work continues through those that he is continually redeeming, you and me so that every day when we get up, we have purpose. I'm not just biding time, checking off the days. You know, life is not, as you guys have heard me say, one big Bill Naps, which, you know, some would call, used to call God's waiting room because there were so many old folks who went there, right? And so for a lot of people, that's what life is. Life is just one big Bill Naps. And we're just hanging out in the lobby waiting. Until Jesus beams me up. But the Bible spilled a lot of ink. <laughs> I mean, it could have just ended with, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And I'll come back and get you. Just hang loose. I mean, it could have just done that, right? But the Bible spills a lot of ink, telling, giving you instructions and me instructions about what he's doing in his world and the fact that we participate in that and that he has gifted us and given us abilities in order for us to actively participate in that. So reorientation, God's redemption, yes, involves him calling individuals out of the world into himself. But those individuals now are his instruments to carry out his his work in his world. We have we have purpose, okay? So that everything, everything fits under those categories. Creation, fall, redemption, orientation, disorientation, reorientation. And I keep hammering that because if you will just get a solid grasp on those and then begin to practice looking at the implica- seeing the implications of those, and then fitting in what you hear and what you are propositioned by by the news media and, uh, and by what you read, and the various isms that compete for our belief and our allegiance, if you will fit all of that into these categories, you will begin to practice looking at life through the lens of a biblical worldview. All right, under orientation, I said the fact that God is the creator means that he controls everything, right? In fact, at the bottom of... um, He controls his world. very last thing on page 7. God is sovereign. Nothing happens outside of God's plan. So for the last few weeks, we've discussed aspects of that and the fact that in God's control of his world, there is his sovereign plan, His sovereign will, everything that comes to pass, that is known only to Him, and then there is His moral will, that which He approves of. And I've tried to show that from Scripture, that there are both of those aspects of God's will in Scripture, His control of everything that happens, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and then His moral will, which is His revealed will in Scripture, what He approves or what He condemns. And there are things, many things that happen in His sovereign will that are not approved by His moral will. So we should not make the mistake of saying since it happened, it was good. God calls things evil. God labels things as bad. I, God, take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. I, God, am not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so God does not label those things as good. So we should not label as good what God calls evil. But how do they fit together? And I want to give you one last illustration, and we really will turn the page to page 8. But uh, it's one many of you have heard me give because uh, I've given it in our Wednesday classes as part of our Master Plan for Life series. But it comes from Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards, a great theologian, maybe the greatest theologian that America has ever produced. And uh, Jonathan Edwards said that God's sovereign will and his moral will can be illustrated this way, that God has the ability to see every event through two lenses. He has a narrow lens, and he has the broadest possible lens. And God and God alone has the ability to see every event through both of them. So God can look at an event in isolation, the narrow lens. Someone dies. An unbeliever dies and goes to a Christless eternity and he can say, I take no pleasure in that. God can look at an isolated, uh, discreet event like the Babylonians attacking Israel and he can say that's evil. You have evil designs and what you're doing And what is motivating you is evil. So he looks at the event through the narrow lens and he then can describe it, good or bad, evil or or not. And so he does that throughout Scripture. But then God alone has the ability to look at every event through the widest possible lens. And God sees how that discrete event, good, bad, or ugly, fits into everything else and all of the connections that are going to come out of that thing. And he knows what effect that is going to have on the dominoes that fall after it, which will ultimately accomplish his good purpose. So this is how the Bible can say in Romans 8, 28, that God is working all things together for good. It doesn't say all things are good. God is working all things together for good, even though many of those things are really lousy. And they've all involved death, and they involve sickness, and they involve sin, and they involve... But God is working all things ultimately together for good, and he is able to see all things in light of that ultimate good that he is producing. Now, Romans 8.28 says, God is working all things And unlike what many of us grew up memorizing from the King James, that all things work together for good. And that's a big difference. It actually says God is working all things. Not all things work together for good. Because, see, things don't just work. They don't work by themselves. Somebody actively works things. God works things. And he works the things, all of them, even those things that he sees through the narrow lens that he labels as evil, sinful, not good. He in his sovereign plan is working all of those things together for ultimate good. So God sees through the narrow lens. We see only the narrow lens. That's our problem, right? We see only this thing. And it is very difficult for us to see what comes out of this thing. And so we are called to see with the eyes of faith. God has said, I am working even those bad things together for good. Do you believe that? Do you have faith that that's true? Even though you can't see precisely what's going to happen out of that. And we're challenged with that all the time. Life in a fallen world, bad stuff happens. I get out my narrow lens. I say, This is uncomfortable. This is bad. This is suffering. There can be no good. And indeed, the thing itself is not good. You being laid up in the hospital is not good. Someone dying is, is not good. So don't call it that. But you can say, despite the fact that it is not good, God is working in and through all things for ultimate good, His glory and the good of His, His people. So that's how I try to look at life, my life, things that happen in my life and how I try to counsel people to look at it as well, and I think it's consistent with the overall uh, teaching of Scripture about God's sovereign plan, His sovereign will, and His moral revealed will. All right, page 8. So there's orientation, that is creation, who God is and what He expects from us, and then section 2 now at the top of page 8, disorientation. we've seen the original orientation of man to God and his world. However, the Bible informs us God's good purpose for man was distorted by the, by the fall, the entrance of sin on earth. As a result, sinful man became disoriented. Disoriented both vertically and horizontally. This lesson marks the beginning of a new section designed to show the place of disorientation in a biblical worldview. So we'll talk about how that vertical now disorientation and horizontal disorientation uh, has occurred and the implications of that. before we get into that directly on pages 8 and 9, this is now going to deal with the nature of humanity, human nature. What are people like? Because we, of course, all live post-fall post sin after sin we all live after Genesis 3 so you only had two people two humans who had the pleasure of living prior to sin so Adam and Eve enjoyed time in the garden before sin but we've never, we've never had that all we know is life that is disoriented we come into this world with a sin nature teaches the Bible And everybody else comes into this world with a sin nature. And we are both affected by the sin that is here and we contribute to the sin that is here. So we are both perpetrator and victim, always. I'm victimized by the sin of others and I contribute to the sin that victimizes others. Now, in those two categories, perpetrator and victim, Which one do you prefer to be? You've got the two categories. I'm the dude who's causing the sin, or I'm the victim here. Which one do you want? Well, we all know we much prefer to be the victim if those are my only two choices. I want the guilt to be placed on somebody else. It's not my fault that we're in this situation. I'm the victim here. And It should then come as no surprise to you that you find humanity doing everything that it can to assuage its personal responsibility for sin, to find some way to move sin outside of ourselves and our own choices. And so as you look at life through a biblical worldview, if you make the mistake of watching Oprah, Is she still on? She's got her own network still? All right. Whoever. I don't know who the current person is. But whoever it is spouting their stuff about why things are the way they are. And if in the course of spouting, they move responsibility from us personally and individually, then you can be sure they're moving away from a biblical worldview. You can also be sure that everybody wants to do that, including me. I want to blame somebody else. You want to blame somebody else. And we've got whole theories that allow us to blame someone or something else other than our own sinful nature. So this topic, do you get the idea this about human nature is like a really big deal? I mean, we came into the world sinful ourselves and into a fallen world, contributing to it, feeling the effects of it. And so it is in us and all around us, the Bible teaches. And so getting a handle on it then is extremely important for us to understand a biblical worldview. Now, let's contrast that. I've just very briefly described what the Bible teaches about human nature. We come into the world with a fallen nature, with a propensity towards sin. And that's why we sin without being taught to sin. Because it comes natural to us. You don't have to be taught to sin. None of you had to be taught to sin. You just can do it. And you've got kids who can do that. Now, this is not a parenting class, but when I teach parenting, I try to make sure that parents understand I know your child is the cutest child that has ever lived. I know that. Every, every parent's child is the cutest child, is a prodigy of some sort. They've got talents you wouldn't believe. They've got, you know, grandparents. Holy cow. Right? i got some pictures. If you've got an hour and a half. These are my grand, these are the greatest grandkids, and, it's, and, and the Bible says, children are a, a heritage from the Lord, a blessing from the Lord. thank God for them and for grandchildren. But they are still sinners. And that little cute prodigy will manipulate you to high heaven if you let him or her. And when I see these young parents letting that happen, look out, baby. We've got, we've got this cute, smart kid who is learning to manipulate and you're now going to unleash that cute, smart manipulator on the rest of the world. So understand, we are all born that way and that includes your kid and my kid. But some people don't believe that. They don't believe that we come into this world with a fallen, sinful nature, right? Right? I say some people don't believe that. The truth is most people don't believe that. We either have, for most people, we either have a good nature or we have a blank slate. But we are not predisposed towards sin, says the the world. Under whatever ism it is, we are either good or we're neutral, but whatever the case, we're not bad. I mean part of the reason we can't be bad, we can you cannot say everybody's bad. Here's why. Cuz that would mean I'm bad. And what are we going to do with that? I mean we know I'm not evil. And so I've got to find some way to exonerate myself. It's either neutral or it's positively good. The Bible teaches that we are negatively disposed toward sin by nature. Now, because most people have been taught for the last 60, 70 years that humanity has evolved and because biological evolution has also given way to Social evolution. You guys familiar with the phrase social Darwinism? So not just, not just biological evolution, but, but social evolution as well. Even political evolution. Your view of human nature has an effect on how you view society, even how you view politics. So I just want to deal with that for a bit. Are you all familiar with the term progressive? Progressive. So somebody might say, I'm a conservative. Somebody else might say, I'm a progressive. Have you, have you ever thought about what progressive means? It doesn't just mean, it does not mean, I'm in favor of progress. I'm in favor of tomorrow being better than yesterday. I don't know of anybody who's not in favor of that. So progressive does not just mean, I'm in favor of progress. Progressivism is a whole philosophy predicated on the idea that human nature is progressing. That's the important. It's not just stuff is progressing. People are progressing. Human nature is becoming better. Ah. Well, is that true biblically? Is this generation naturally better than the generation or the the uh, millennia before? The Bible would say it is no better at all. That the nature of people has not changed a whit, not at all. But progressivism says that not just have things progressed, people have progressed. Our nature and you hear it in terms like I'm dating myself, but, you know, before Oprah, there was Phil Donahue. And there would be these debates on Phil Donahue, and he would moderate these debates, and he would, uh, he would say, people would say things like, on the liberal slash progressive side, I th- quote, I thought we were past that. You know, the issue might be gay rights. And then there's some conservative person in the minority always. And then somebody would stand, maybe fill himself and say, Quote, I thought we were past that. And I remember hearing that, going, What does that mean? What do you mean we're past that? But if you understand that progressivism means that people are getting better and we're becoming more enlightened, then it makes perfect sense that we get past things. We progress past old taboos. Old taboos that are found in the Bible. So what you read in the Old Testament is of marginal help, because they were in a different era, and they were not as enlightened as we are. And you hear people say this kind of thing. I mean, they still want to be Christian, but you know that was written millennia ago, and we have progressed since then, or even the New Testament. The New Testament teaches very unpopular things, right? So if you're going to be a Bible church, a Bible-oriented church, whatever the name, but if you're going to be a church in the name of our slogan that is built on the word of the family of God, built on the Word of God, to the glory of God, if you're going to be about the Word of God, if you're going to be about the Bible, then you're just going to have to take unpopular stances, and people are just going to have to get over it. And it's unpopular to say that the Bible teaches such a thing as male headship, for instance. Would I be correct that that's an unpopular thing to say? But the fact is the Bible teaches that. Now, I don't have time to talk about all the nuances to that, and it doesn't mean inferiority, superiority, superiority, and if you've been here long enough, you know that, and you've heard me say that. But the fact is the Bible teaches that. And if you're going to be faithful to the Bible, you've got to have the guts to say that. That's what it says. But the argument on the other side is, well, see, they thought in their era this. And it's another variation of the, we're past that. And I'm here to tell you that from a biblical worldview, you don't get past Scripture. (laughs) We're not enlightening ourselves past what God has revealed in Scripture. People are not today better than what God says they are in Scripture. And so any argument, no matter how couched, that is undergirded by nature, people are getting better, and we're past that, is contrary to a biblical worldview. Two things in the Bible have not changed. From the Old Testament to the New Testament, and that is... God and people. And neither of those has changed. And people have not progressed morally and spiritually contrary to the progressivism and the progressive philosophy. Now, this is why, and 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 I'm not trying to wax political, I'm just giving you illustrations so that you can fit things in. Um... Does anybody know the slogan of MSNBC? Well, anyways, you know, I mean, there are like six people who watch MSNBC, I think. (laughs) But if you're one of them, MSNBC would be progressive. You know what the slogan is? Lean forward. Do you know why? Because it's progressive. Progressive. It's not just being in favor of progress, it is progressivism. Do you know what the... I, am I Correct me if I'm wrong, I think the slogan of the Obama campaign I think it was just one word. Forward. Now again, we're all in favor of progress. We all want things to be better tomorrow than they, than they were yesterday. But progressivism is much bigger than that. Things are getting better, not just things are getting better, people are getting better. So when I was in college and thought I had modest goals, I want to be president. Now president, governor will do. If not governor, senator will be fine. But I was pursuing my first couple years political science. So I'm taking all these political science classes and you've heard me say that one of the classes that I took was a full semester on Marxism taught by a Marxist. So, there I am, this Christian kid from a Christian school being taught Marxism. And I'm trying to get my mind around what this dude is saying. And, I, and I'm trying to compare and contrast that to what I've been taught God says as best I can as a 20, 21-year-old kid. And as the semester went on, I concluded that the foundational difference between what this guy believes and what I believe, what the Bible teaches, is his view of human nature. He believes that human nature is malleable, changeable. And he believes it can be changed by the environment. If you get the machinery right, then you can make people better. And Marx taught, we will progress to the point we will not need the state because people will be good enough to govern themselves. And I believe it was Madison who said, correct me, who said if men were angels, we wouldn't need a government. That's true. But Madison had the sense that Marx didn't. Men are not angels. <laughs> Far from it. Therefore, we need a government with checks and balances, because power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely, and and all of that. So, in that class, we had to write a paper at the end of the semester, and my the n- title of my paper was "Man's Changeable Nature: The Foundation of Marxism," and. I was convinced then and I'm convinced now that if you get human nature wrong you're going to get every, I know you'll get everything else wrong you'll get yourself wrong you'll get politics wrong you'll get economics wrong you'll get everything wrong if you don't start with the foundational truth of a biblical worldview that human nature is static And it is statically, that is the same, and it's statically bad, sinful. And now you build everything around that. Now we'll move on, believe it or not, but um, you say, well, it's static. I mean, here, here we are. We're supposed to be different. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. So certainly we're in the change business. And we're in the change of human nature business. But the change that we advocate comes not from political machinery or not from society, not from, re, not from uh, revolution, but rather from a renewal of the heart. A spiritual awakening, not a political awakening. And dear friends, if you are putting your hope like so many Bible-believing Christians are, putting your hope in politics, (laughs) to bring America back to where America should be, you are putting your hope in a false hope. People will not be changed by a different government. People will be changed by the gospel. And that is, by the way, the reason that I decided not to pursue politics because I came to realize that. People will not be changed by a more efficient government, a bigger government, a smaller government. It won't be changed by government at all. People will be changed by the power of the gospel. This is why Piers Morgan, has he been deported yet? (laughs) But this whole idea, human nature is, is getting better and we're past that notion is why Piers Morgan could say within the last two weeks, anybody read this? The Bible needs to be amended. He said that. The Bible needs to be amended. Because what it teaches about homosexuality cannot be reconciled with 2013. It cannot. We're past that. So the Bible should be updated. Now, I appreciate Piers Morgan's honesty because the truth is there are many, many people who abuse the Bible who are trying to update the Bible, amend it, under the name of church and Christianity. So let's just call it what it is. We're rewriting the Bible the way we think it ought to be in today's terms. And God will have none of it. So we have not, Piers Morgan or church, man, or woman, moved past moved past the Bible. So page 8. The Bible teaches paradise lost, but as we'll see under reorientation later, paradise regained as well. If man was made for God, then any deviation from God's design is a matter of idolatry. In that, it has placed someone or something as primary other than God. So that's a loaded sentence, but just if it's true that what we said in the first couple lessons is accurate, that God's the creator, that the creator has purpose, and man exists for God's purpose, then if all of that is true, then any deviation from that is a replacement And any replacement for God is by definition what? Idolatry. So that's what we're saying. So if in fact it's true man was made for God, then any deviation from God's design is idolatry because it's placed someone or something as primary other than God. The fall of Genesis 3 involved a radical reordering of the relationship of man to God and of man to man, vertical and horizontal. Now, notice I say the fall, and the fall is in quotation marks. You guys see that? The reason it's in quotation marks is, this is the, fall is the term that is used and has been used for centuries, so we continue to use it, and that's fine, but we've got to understand what it means. <laughs> if I walk out of here and I trip and fall, then that's an accident. I just stumbled upon something bad. But when we say the fall, we're not talking about somebody just stumbling upon something by accident, and it had bad consequences. The fall was very deliberate, intentional, rebellion, violation of the orientation that God had given to the man and the woman. So do not ever have the mistaken idea that the fall is something accidental that just didn't work out. Quite deliberate, intentional, and the man, the woman... And the little men and women that would come after them now, in their image, have the, feel the effects. And what are those effects? Vertical and horizontal. The most important of these is vertical. Man to God. And Genesis 3 says after the disobedience of eating of the prohibited fruit The man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Now let me just stop. You know, as you read these opening passages of the Bible, this is setting the foundation for the entire rest of the story. And when you read these things, just try to read them slowly and carefully. You know, they hear the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. I mean, how do they know it's the Lord God? I mean, apparently they had had enough time to be trained to know that, that God would commune with them, that God would fellowship with them, that God would even condescend to, apparently, take on a pre-incarnate form. Sorry for the big term, but... Prior to God coming as man, there are times in the first part of your Bible where God would appear. The angel of the Lord, for instance, would appear. And the angel of the Lord is referred to as God. So God is condescending for the sake of people from time to time to commune with them. And apparently God did that so that they heard the sound of the Lord God walking. They knew that. They hear that now. They've heard it before, apparently. But now they hear it, and you you read these words. They hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. They hid. And you should just feel pain as you read that. People who were made by God and for God are now hiding from God. And when you see people scattered and wandering aimlessly in this world in 2013, those words should resound in your heart. People who are now hiding from God. When you now begin to look at life through the lens of a biblical worldview, you begin to see people all over the place that are hiding from God you don't just see homelessness. You don't just see poverty. You see that. You don't just see robberies and murders. You see, you see something behind all of that. People hiding from God and all of the ill consequences that go with that. And so as you read your newspaper and you read that in Detroit... My daughters were just asking me this the other day. It's like, how many murders are there in Detroit? And I said 300 and some. And it turned out there's like 380 or something. And I remember thinking when I was a kid in in the mid-70s, we were the murder capital of the world. And we had, and I remember it being like 700 murders. And sure enough, I read 714, 1974. 380 now. And I thought, we're progressing. We're getting better. No, I didn't think that. (laughs) But I thought, really? And then uh, I remembered the population, percentage-wise, the murder rate is higher than when it was in 1974. And we were the murder capital of the world. It's higher now. But when you read that, do you first read gun control? And again, I'm not trying to rat wax political. I'm not even taking a position. I'm saying, but do you is that do you first read a political position from a biblical worldview? The first thing you should that should resonate with you is people running from God, people with a severed relationship from God. Vertically from man to God. And it all starts here and it goes downhill from there. And every last thing you read and every last thing you experience that is contrary to the good design that God had for His world, it all starts right here. People hiding from God as a result of sin. Now we're going to pray and quit. But do you see, friends, the problem is much, much deeper Republican or Democrat. So give it up. I mean, just give it up that politics is going to save us. It ain't going to happen. The problem is much deeper and it goes to man's spiritual relationship with God. We're going to see the consequences of that and the consequences for our relationship with each other and for the fallenness that we now experience, the environmental effect as well next week, okay? Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for giving us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts that desire to know your truth, to know your perspective on life. Lord, I constantly need the spectacles that I have on to be repaired, to be cleaned, because they become foggy. And, dis- and my vision becomes distorted because of sin around me and in me. And so I need the clarity of your word. I need the chiding of your spirit. And each of my brothers and sisters here needs that very same thing every day, renewed day by day, by the spirit of God, applying the truth of the word of God to our hearts so that we see ourselves and we see you and we see your world clearly that's what we want to do in these coming weeks we thank you for what we've been able to look at and we ask your blessing in the weeks ahead go with us this week and help us to put into practice what we've discussed help us to read a magazine something online the newspaper have a conversation but help us Lord to filter that now through the lens of the worldview that you provide, that sees that alone sees life accurately, help us to be able to internalize that, help us to be able to communicate that to others. Grant us safety till next Lord's day, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.